What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And if you haven't been rocking a Mystery Ranch Fireline pack during the ex- during your entire career, well, that sucks to be you, dog, because they make some of the best damn fire packs in the business. And that's not just all they make. They make all the little accoutrements to go with your fire career, even outside of fire. But specifically the fire stuff, they got the Big Ernie pack. They've got the uh, Talk Box 5000. It's actually a pretty sweet little uh, radio harness that fits all the Bendex King radios out there currently in use. It's pretty badass. And they have everything even to the flight monster so if you need to pack your shit up and get on out to canada like a lot of you have been doing this year well they have a solution for you but not only that they have solutions to further your education and why do i bring up how badass mystery ranch is well not only because they're badass gear and they're badass packs but because they are supporting like badasses like you in the field help further their education and professional development and why do they do this because they give a shit They are invested in the wildland fire community and they want to give back to this community because they want you to succeed. Yeah. How do they do this? Well, it's thrill through the Backbone Series scholarships. Yeah. So if you haven't checked out the Mystery Ranch Backbone Series scholarships, well, you better go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check it out because there is a thousand dollar scholarship up for grabs to perform, to basically pursue your professional development. Yeah. Whether that be an EMT course or that, uh, S course that no one's going to pay for. Well, you have an opportunity to get some funding to make your dream come true and develop your professional career. All you got to do, just tell your story about fighting wildland fire. And if it's compelling and it's not written in crayon, well, you have an opportunity to win one of these thousand dollar mystery ranch backbone series scholarships to pursue your professional development. All you gotta do is go over to www.mysteryranch.com. Look out for the announcements of the next round of scholarships and put your name in the hat. It's really simple as that. So once again, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check it out. Vanker Point Podcast is also going to be brought to you by our homies over at Hotshot Brewery. You thought I was going to say Starbucks, didn't you? Nah. Well, Hotshot Brewery, they make the most kick-ass coffee for the most kick-ass cause, and a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. So if you're in the market for some really good coffee or all the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right, or a whole list of Wildland Firefighter-themed apparel, then look no further than Hotshot Brewery. Yeah, it's awesome. And while you're over there, you can actually get some uh, Anchor Point stuff. Uh, We kind of uh, have a little deal going where uh, you can get some exclusive Anchor Point merch by going over there. Just search for it and you will find it. But once again, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and get all the tools of the trade to start your morning off right and all the kick-ass coffee for kick-ass causes that you can ever need. And last but not least, the Anchor Point Podcast is, well, they're not sponsored by, they're not brought to you by, but it is one of those close relationships I have with Bethany over there at the American Wildfire Experience. And uh, yeah, I just want to show her some love for as long as I possibly can because I believe in her cause and I believe in her mission and she's got some rad stuff going on. And if you don't know what the American Wildfire Experience is, well, they house the Smoky Generation. And I know for a fact, a lot of people out there have seen that rolling around. It's pretty freaking awesome. What it is, is basically a digital storytelling platform uh, telling the story of wildland fire. There's quite literally, there's, there has to be like over 250 of these stories out there now, but it's preserving the legacy of the uh, folks in the field and the story of wildland fire. And some of these stories even date back to the 1940s. It's pretty freaking bitching. So if you want a little history lesson, or if you want to sign up for the Smoky Generation grant program, if you got a compelling story and you're telling the story of wildland fire through the lens of a camera, a 
video camera or a still camera through a blog, through some animations. There was this one dude out there who made uh, We Move Mountains with Spoons and it's freaking kick ass. And they're a Smoky Generation grant recipient. Yeah. Sky's the limit. Tell the story. It's freaking awesome. Anyways, if you want to find out more, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and you can check it all out. Once again, www.wildfireexperience.org. Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization over there. Keep it up. This podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Hope everybody's doing well. And I hope that everybody's not going stir crazy because it is dirty August and there ain't a damn thing. There ain't shit going on pretty much countrywide. We're still sending people out to Alaska. So if you get up there on a lucky roll, well, that's good for you. Uh, And we're still somehow sending people to Canada, which is even more wild. But who knows? I think uh, that we're one lightning bust away from a true dirty August. And I think it's going to be one of those seasons where it goes into uh, probably into almost November. But everybody wishes they had a crystal ball and I'm no fire uh, weather specialist and I'm not going to pretend to be. So it's a roll of dice, except for that stuff that happened in Hawaii. Holy crap, man. That That is a tragedy. Like, holy shit, man. Yeah. Anyways, today we are going to be talking all about fire and tech. Now, this is going to be more geared towards your, uh, I guess, your departments with some like, eh all risk departments. Let's call it that. However, there is definitely an application for the uh, wildland specific front. So you'll probably see some folks run around on the fire line, fire grounds with some uh, iPads and they'll have these like little maps and boxes and they'll have resources listed, especially your command uh, type people or your divisions or your task force leaders. And that program is called Tablet Command. So we are going to sit down and have a chat all about Tablet Command with the founder. And we're going to talk about Tablet Command, how it came to be, and uh, why this is a situational awareness enhancing tool. We're also going to talk about leadership, uh, being a servant leader, being a good follower. We're going to talk about fire adapted landscapes and communities, and a little bit of science, fire fuels, weather, all that kind of stuff. So without further ado, I'd like to an- I'd like to introduce my good friend, Andy Boto. Welcome to the Anchor Point. Alrighty. Welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Today on the show, I've got Andy Botso. Is it Botso? See, I told you I was going to yeah, ask it. Perfect. Oh, second time. Bozo. Second Bozo. time was perfect. There no, we second, go. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. Nailed it. <laughs> and he is, nailed it. He is with well Tablet Command. And uh, we'll get into that. But uh, tell us about yourself, man. Okay. Um, I am a native Californian. I was um, uh, 52 years of age. Um, born in uh, the Gilroy area, raised in the Aptos Santa Cruz area, fascinated by fire from a very early age. I actually lived out in the country in Gilroy and at like five years old, saw the entire hillside behind our house, um, actually mountainside, I should say, 
Mount Madonna just go up in flames. I think that was about 1972 or 73. I'd have to look back in the Cal Fire um, records to see when that fire happened. And just enthralled by... Um, was pretty decent in school and sports. So I went down the whole student athlete route for high school. Um, I went to the Robert Louis Stevenson school in Pebble beach. Um, I was actually a, I, you know, little known fact, it's a boarding school and I was actually a boarder. So people were like, what'd you do wrong? What'd you do wrong? But <laughs> who did you my hurt? parents had seven kids. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it was like, you know, it's like a prep school. So uh, I don't reveal that too much in the fire service um, because, you know, that suddenly precludes you from things like being able to crawl under a rig and turn a wrench. So there's no, it's not mutually exclusive, but, um, and then uh, I went off to college, uh, did a little athletics in college. I swam and um, I actually transferred midway from a uh, university of Southern California where I was a mediocre ish swimmer and finished up at Middlebury college with my swimming and, um, walked on the lacrosse team my senior year, which was real, a lot of lessons learned that transfer over into the fire service. And even some of the, um, coaches and the athletic directors that I had there at Middlebury were fantastic and amazing and really kind of informed my career. You know, I have endless gratitude for them and, and the, you know, the coaches that I had all through high school as well. Um, I was a seventh grade science teacher right after that. So I taught life sciences because I was a biology major and I really do enjoy teaching. And that's also carried over into my fire service career. Um, I've spent some time in and out of training, but even, you know, I've spent most of my time in the companies and even in the companies I'm, you know, helping with training efforts and whatnot. Um, and uh, taught science for about five years and then started with Cal fire, which you know, sort of like being reunited with a long lost love, that fire that I saw, you know, as a little boy, I got to do that every afternoon with Cal Fire um, on an engine company and the, the BEU, San Benito Monterey. Um, and we started out in King City. So we were going to fires reasonably frequently, you know, almost every afternoon. Um, and uh, so getting experience with fire uh, and then, um, my wife got a job in the Pacific Northwest. I'm married. I have two kids. Um, and when we were newly married in 1999, after two seasons with Cal Fire, um, I moved up the Pacific Northwest. And the first fire department, I took a bunch of tests, but the first fire department that hired me um, was, it was called the Kent Fire Department. It's now Puget Sound Fire. And again, fantastic personnel, fantastic agency, very professional. Um, and I also had been on a bunch of other lists and I sort of about a couple years into that made the jump to the Tacoma fire department, like you see in Tacoma fire. Um, and the reason I did that is because the city of Tacoma was very old. And at that point I thought, Oh, I'm going to stay in urban firefighting the rest of my career. I didn't know if we were moving back to California because it was so expensive at the time. And was, uh, so was, I just, still is. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, it, now it's peanuts, peanuts compared to that. But, um, so, um, I, uh, made the jump to the Tacoma fire department. So two successful probations under my belt. And I learned a lot. Um, I really would say I cut my structure teeth, um, 
I, I learned great habits at the Kent Fire Department and I cut my structure teeth at the Tacoma Fire Department. Um, very frequent reps with um, residential and commercial structure fires in buildings that are 100 years old. Some of our stations are older than 100 years old. Um, and so that was really cool to be part of um, that tradition. But the wildland bug never left. And I kind of always had this dream of being in that combo wildland, urban county, um, you know, California county model. And so I, um, you know, about eight years into living in the Northwest, my wife was getting over the weather and uh, I was sort of the vehicle to go back. Like, well, you just take some tests, you'll get hired. And I'm like, uh, no, I don't, I'm not sure I will, but it, I'll take the tests and see how it, and so I wound up on a few lists and I settled on Contra Costa County fire where I've been since, um, I think I'm in my 17th or 18th year there. And, um, it really does encompass all the things that I've wanted to do in the fire service. And I've heard a lot of guys that have retired and they'll say when they retire, the ones that retire at peace say, I did everything I wanted to do in the fire service, you know? So maybe that means rank, maybe that means, um, serving in different companies. Maybe they wanted to be on hazmat or maybe they wanted to go out on strike teams, or maybe they wanted to be a smoke jumper and then a foreman or, you know, or a superintendent or, you know, it, that means different things to different people. For me, my everything was, I want to go to structure fires. I want to go to wrecks on the freeway. I want to be part of an urban search and rescue, but I also want to go to wildland fires. And I want to go to, um, you know, the big ones that I read about, in, you know, I, I've got, I'm a super fire nerd and I have a, bio, a biology background. And so the natural history of fire in the Western United States is something that really speaks to me just in terms of like how species have evolved to burn and um, how, you know, species succession is really dependent on, I'd say fires of a hundred years ago, but the fires of today, uh, because they're burning so damn hot, <laughs> they're just, it's a totally different landscape, as you know, um, hiking out in those moonscapes, you know, I was just on the Calder fire and that whole landscape was like a, just a nuclear annihilation of oh, yeah. certain swaths of that forest. Uh, really interesting from a scientific standpoint, a little bit worrisome from a residential and a tactical standpoint. Um, and just as just a resident, a normal citizen of California. Um, and so if big fire was my goal, um, California has really sort of helped me align that goal because of the era that we're in of mega fires and what we've seen year in and year out of just, I, I when I came on in, and I know there were big fires, but when I came on in Cal fire in 1998, like a thousand acres was a really big deal. That was a big deal. Now that's like nothing compared to what, you know, we're talking a million acres um, and uh, just fire, just chewing up, you know, acre after acre after acre. And just watching that behavior has been um, from a micro and a macro standpoint, it's been uh, really jaw dropping and fascinating. And again, a little bit, worrisome and troublesome. So, you know, here we are today. I'm a, I'm a captain for, um, Contra Costa County fire. I've been on a USAR for about, 
um, six and a half, seven years, but I recently slid over to the training division as a safety officer on a 48 hour shift. So running to all the fires, but, um, running to all the fires, but, uh, doing the safety pit, the safety bit. So doing a safety lap, um, you know, uh, collaborating with the IC, um, doing basically the IC's bidding. And then I just, within the last four weeks, cause I took the battalion chief's test, which is one of my checkoffs. I really, um, wanted to, uh, be a battalion chief. It's something that I've always wanted because I was really influenced by really great servant leaders. Um, just these battalion chiefs that were great leaders on the fire ground, but also incredible facilitators of everybody else's growth. I mean, not everybody is like that, but I got lucky. And so I wanted to be a guy like that. And so I'm now an acting battalion chief, you know, who knows how long I'll be in that position. I'm trying to own it. Um, I hope they keep, they leave me there and promote me eventually. Um, the idea of taking strike teams out as a battalion chief, strike team leader, um, is enticing to me. And, you know, I'm 52, but I feel pretty young and, uh, I would like to have another nine lives in the fire service. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. I do a little surfing. I play some water polo, uh, to stay in shape. And, um, I chase my kids around and, uh, and, you know, spend time with my family. And that's kind of my thing. Yeah. Chasing the kids around. That's definitely a damn good PT program, but you get to surf as well. Yeah, that's, totally. that's not bad, man. You know, you mentioned something yeah. pretty, uh, you know, they say, Oh, good. No, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, you mentioned something. Uh, I kind of wanted to ask you, you kind of alluded to it there, but you said, uh, about like how fire has changed in scope, scale, size, intensity over the last few mm-hmm. years. And you've got, you know, all these years in fire. So like, what have you seen over the years that has kind of like either led up to this or some like trends that we're tracking? What's your opinion on it, man? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, looking at the bifurcation between the structural world and the wildland world in the structural world, having, um, you know, done some reps in the Pacific Northwest and older homes, you had really traditional construction. And so you spent a lot more time on a roof. Um, you know, fire tended to behave in a certain way there. Now you had, you know, attic fires and basement fires because of balloon frame construction, things like that. Now with the proliferation of things like Ikea and, um, you know, uh, big box stores where you can get a couch and all those things, there's a lot of petrochemicals in the fuels. So those fires are burning hot fast and they are really, um, uh, moving quickly through a building. I saw a stat that said that, you know, back in the day with legacy fuels, in the residential world, you had 17 minutes to escape. Now you have three as a citizen and an occupant. And the same is true for, um, you know, flashover conditions and things like things like that. The smoke is really volatile in the wildland world. Um, you know, like I said, I'd read about all these large mega fires, but they seem to be hundred year events. And this trend seems to be aligning with every other climate, um, catastrophe or climate, um, event to stay neutral on that, um, that these hundred year fires are now 10 year fires or five year fires. And it seemed like they're between 2015 and 16, you know, like the rim fire to like the Calder fire and the Dixie fire, it's just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think the, the, um, although in California, especially Southern California, we've had those encroachment events, uh, into, you know, the residential world, whether it's Malibu, Santa Barbara, Berkeley, Oakland, 
um, from time to time. Now it's just like, yeah, structures are threatened to the point where I had a friend of mine who I, who also went to the same high school that I went to. Um, he's a captain in Ventura County, very dynamic guy, a guy named Tony McHale. And he called me once from one of his fires and he, you know, he's this big booming voice goes, dude, throw all the tactics out the window. Everything you learned in the Academy is out the window. These things are bigger. You got to draw a bigger box. And so, you know, I guess my takeaway as a captain or sort of living in that captain BC's world is like resources, 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 resources. That seems to be the the thing that you're keeping in your back pocket to kind of manage that. And the, you know, the other thing I would say, like in the, cause I dwell primarily in the wildland urban interface world. Um, in addition to like the, the urban world is just, you know, you would think, okay, let's get a left flank and a right flank and let's go after Let's, you know, pinch around this fire. Now it's like, no, let's go, let's get that first alarm into the structures. Let's defend the structures and then we'll worry about the veg. Um, and where I'm, where I am, it's a lot of light flashy fuel. So that veg is over, um, and well into the structures before a lot of resources can show up. So I would say that, you know, traditional fire tactics that were taught in textbooks 20 years ago are, you know, needing to be modified because things are moving so quickly and so big. And, you know, not only are we feeling the effects of, um, you know, a hundred years plus of really aggressive fire suppression, but we're also, because we're suppressing those fires, we're seeing, I, and this is my empirical opinion. So there might be a scientist that comes on your show and like totally refutes what I said. I'm totally open to that. Like always lifelong learner. But my hypothesis on that is like, you've got these, like where I live, there's a ton of Monterey pines those things are kind of dead where they stand about every fifth or every 10th tree because of beetle bark um, and drought. And so, and if you go to the Sierra foothills around Bass Lake, you just see these, it looks like autumn on the East coast, but it's red with dead trees. And I have to ask myself what I would want to test as a scientist is like, if those were allowed to burn every 15 years or 10 years or whatever that interval is for that fuel package, would this still be the same? And again, we're getting increasingly hotter temperatures. I mean, I worked in Antioch for the last seven years and triple digits was not a big thing, but like we are doing like 110 and we even got up to like 115 a couple of times. And that's like in the Bay area, it's the East end of the San Francisco Bay area. So it does get hot, but 115 is like, it's like, what is happening? Yeah, dude, that's insane. That's like Las Vegas hot, you oh, know, yeah. without the air conditioning. <laughs> So, <laughs> no, you're absolutely right, man. And that, you know, whenever I have this discussion with somebody, I try and take the climate change argument out of this. I try and, and just right. the reason why is because it's just such a polarizing topic. And so yeah, let's 100%. take like the fire regimes that we're seeing now. And now that we've had two years back to back where it's been a slow start and haven't had a lot of fire, mm -hmm. like big explosive fires, yeah. but the fires that we are having are explosive especially if they're not mm -hmm. suppressed in that like window, you know, if it gets a hold and gets established, then it's off to the races and it's explosive growth. So let's remove climate change from that argument. Right. Yeah. We, yeah. Like you said yourself, man, these, these historic fire regimes where you're having these hundred year fires and they're happening with more frequency. Well, that's where we come in. That's where human comes in. Right. We've been suppressing these damn fires for far too long, over a hundred years since the 10 AM policy, at least on the federal yeah. side. Now we have this overstocked forest yeah. with too much competition. The beetle kill is easy mm -hmm. to spread because there's no water compounded with the drought. It's like this cyclic negative or uh, positive feedback loop. Right. 
So it's just making it worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And I think that the solution is fuels management. And it's like one of, this, yeah. is a, this is a wide, wide range of topics, right? And this is no one silver bullet or anything like that. So fuels management and letting stuff right. burn. Oh, send it. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. And I think, you know, from a political standpoint, that's where you can kind of get alignment with maybe people that are across the table from you on, mm-hmm. um, you know, political ideology or, um, you know, maybe they they don't agree with that scientific Um, but you can, but once you start talking, um, you know, fuels management, it's like, yeah, that's something we can both agree on. So let's, let's, let's start there, you know, um, because I agree it's a, you know, that's what we're left with. Right. I know just where, where I live, it's not like we're going to say like, oh, no, we're going to do a nice little 20 acre burn today. Let's just rip it off. It's just, it's impossible. Um, whereas you talk about some different fuel management strategies, because that's, well, that's where we are. So you have to kind of pull alongside people where they are. And, uh, and it's a good way, I think, to, to get consensus, I guess, is a way around the kitchen table and the fire station. And also from a political standpoint, you know, to yeah. where no one's pushing an agenda, you know, like you have to check this box as a climate change believer before I'm before it's like, no, dude, okay, what are we going to do right now for the betterment of this community and try to restore health to this particular portion of land? And, so there are some, I, there are a lot of more things I think that we can agree on than that, you know, polarize people. But it, I, I agree. It's like a, you know, having lived around the round table for, you know, 25 years. Um, what, what is it? It's politics, religion, and um, sports uh, are, are off the table. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're off the table for discussion. So. No, it's, it's weird though. It's um, just, uh, I, I, I kind of like taking it out of there though, because it's just like now, now everyone's yeah. on common ground. Yeah. We, obviously we have a, a problem. It, you have to be blind and not see this, this problem of explosive fires and especially on the encroachment of the wooey right now. Yeah. 100%. Everybody wants, yeah. Everybody wants their little slice of heaven, but also you got to have that personal accountability to come in and manage your own land. So, yeah, I mean, there's risk yeah. with everything. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. But when you're inclusive of everybody though, like your RCDs, your regional foresters, your loggers, your whoever's, your grazing allotments. If you're, if you're being inclusive of all these people, I'm like, Hey, we need to take care of this. Well, it opens up a lot more doors to possible solutions and it's not a one size fits all thing. 100%. And I think just even, you know, I say, well, walk in with your hands in your pockets, you know, like, Hey, what do you guys think about this? What, this is what I'm thinking. And then you know, sometimes people will run with that, but sometimes you can really start some good, productive, constructive conversations around that versus sort of walking in with a big old binder and saying, this is what it says. This is gospel. Because, you know, as we've probably seen in the last, I don't know, 10 years, um, I don't, I don't think Americans in particular react well to that. (laughs) So there's a, there's an alignment approach. There's a consensus, there's a build, a bridge building approach that, you know, I think can be um, you know, get, get you, you get, you get more bees with honey, right? Oh, absolutely. And you, I mean, that's the thing too. It's like being inclusive of all these people and like taking their, 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 uh, their points of view into consideration and that mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. I mean, the last time that someone told Americans what to do, we threw, we threw a bunch of tea into a Harbor, right? <laughs> yeah. We're like, yeah, no, thanks. It's like, no, we you haven't been here, dude. Taxes. <laughs> Yeah. 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 But I think that's where the leadership component that you're uh, referring to, like the servant leadership, the leaders intent. And then also I think another important thing with all of humanity, even like with you and me talking when say, we're not even talking about fire. It's that thought leadership, right? Mm -hmm. Presenting a problem, not not like it's a, uh, 
like a mandate or a, a, you must do this, but being not married to your ideals and trying to form a conversation around some thought or idea, right? That'd be thought leadership. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I kind of, I make a lot of sports analogies. It's like, okay, we get three yards on this down. If we can, let's do that, you know, and then we'll go for the long bomb further down the road. Um, but, uh, you know, just kind of, I mean, I, I, I kind of, use that philosophy when I walk into the station for a first time with a brand new crew. It's like, where are you at? What are your needs? How can I provide best for your needs? And let's review, make sure we're all on board with the mission of the organization. Um, Alan, I, you know, I was fortunate enough to meet Alan Brunacini and sort of hang out on the periphery of a lot of what he was doing primarily in the structural world, but he'll be, you know, I think a lot of what he did with regard to the fire command models in Phoenix are based off of a lot of the fire scope and incident command models that we have in California. And, um, and I think I, I, I think I can say that safely that, um, you know, he, he used those models, but the biggest thing that I took away from getting to hang out with him is that, you know, he called it, you know, like M centered, like what is the mission? The mission's not you. It's not me. It's what is the mission right now? The mission could be put the fire out. The mission could be, um, you know, we need to bolster the station because it's not safe. You know, the mission could be, we need to train more because we're not on the same page, but what is the mission? And can we all get aligned with the mission? And when you do that, when you keep it kind of mission centered, the egos seem to kind of fall off to the wayside or people that are ego driven and insecure seem to check out and they, they go somewhere else. And then you find yourself aligned with people that are just really, and I, I'm really lucky right now. Like I, this battalion that I happened into that I'm managing, it really feels like the egos are very chill and that people are interested in hearing each other's ideas, tactics, strategies, and that we're all willing to have a conversation. And then we've gotten a chance to test that in the drill environment. And it's like the attitude and effort is off the charts. I couldn't be happier. And so again, you know, you just that, 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 that sense of gratitude of, Hey, this is where we are. Um, you know, maybe we don't have far to go to where we want to be. Uh, but we all like just to adopt that idea that we're always trying to get better as humans, as firefighters, as leaders. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, an important thing, I think, to take into your back, uh, keep in your back pocket as a leader uh, of this. I'm going to come alongside you and we're going to get better together, uh, philosophy because, and if you're excited about it, I think people also get excited about it. Oh yeah, man. I mean, it's empowerment, right? I mean, if you really want to see someone really excel at something, empower them to be mm -hmm. them best selves, like the best version of themselves, period. That right there, man, yeah. that's, then that ties into the self-leadership because if they want to be the absolute best, you instill that empowerment, you empower them to be their best self, then they have self-leadership at that point. Now everybody's aligned for this mission. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Right? I mean, makes and that's that whole me. leadership from the bottom thing. Yeah. Yeah. And the best fire chiefs I've seen in my career have cultivated that. Oh, you've got a great idea. Great. Are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Oh yeah, absolutely. Do we? Okay. So I've, you know, I've seen some leaders have been like, shut the fuck up, new guy. Don't say anything. And then I've seen leaders like you have a great idea. Now put some meat on the bone and bring it back to me and I will help you get it across the finish line. And I think those are the best leaders that recognize the creativity you know, at all levels. And certainly there are times, there are times to be a sea captain, to be like, look, this is what we got to do. And there's no room for discussion. This is, we have to do this now. You know, those are those urgent moments. But 
you know, those moments of um, when you're building that team, that team building and growth, you know, empowering those guys to lead from the bottom is like, that's a really important leadership quality that I'm always trying to get better at as well. You know? Oh yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, that's, I mean, even the most unassuming person or the most like green person you can imagine could add something mm. absolutely critical mm-hmm. or absolutely like profound to the situation. And you'd never expect it. I love seeing that, man. Yeah, I do too. It's, it's inspiring. It's, it's why like, you know, at 52, I'm not sure if I should feel like tired, sore, this or that, but I see these young guys getting after it on, on our job and gals getting after it on our job in our department. Um, our department's done a pretty good job of hiring pretty highly motivated folks that are, are taking their own classes. They're bringing great ideas. They're also following our policies for the most part really well. And then that inspires me to want to stick around and not, I mean, you know, I could leave, I guess. Um, but like, I just get inspired by that team atmosphere. Um, I feel lucky to be a part of it. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. Here's a thought experiment for you, man. So, okay. The way I kind of think of, uh, leadership is like this nebulous thing, right? It's, it's no one, no one who's a true leader says I am a leader. Mm -hmm. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. It's, it's like this weird thing. And I think that we need to instill, uh, especially for people that are coming into the uh, fire service. I think that like crash course in leadership and figuring it out. I wonder if there'd be a way to like instill that mentality of not an I am, but I am a part of kind of leadership context. You know, does that make sense? What I'm trying to say? hundred percent. Cause you gotta be a, um, to be a good to leader. Sports. You have to be a good follower as well. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I still clean toilets today. I'm in the fire station. It's and and I'll still help with dishes. Um, It's kind of that like that. I think we're getting away from the hazing. Like, let's make the probies do the shit work. You know, (laughs) Uh, we have a lot to deal with. We have bullets flying at us. We have, um, you know, uh, cars with lithium ion batteries that can electrocute you. We have. Uh, you know, and I'm not saying that there, there shouldn't be rites of passage, but that's what probation is. That's what the, the academy is. That's what all the physical training is in our academy. It's incredibly arduous. And so I'm not saying throw rose petals at these kids feet, but to show them, Hey man, I'm still doing this. It's really important that this toilet is clean and I'm going to show you how to do it. And then you're going to catch me doing it. You know, and it's such a, it seems like such a menial task. And, you know, we all know that taking over a station after a shift leaves, it can also be a disgusting task, but you throw yourself into it and it, and then those other disgusting tasks that happen during EMS calls and things like that, where you're willing to roll your sleeves up and get dirty with the, with the crews. I think it's, I think it's exactly what you're talking about. There's a great book. Um, that I've started and I haven't finished. My wife makes fun of me because I have about eight books that I've started and I haven't finished because I just, you know, I get, I'm, I got really bad ADD uh, as we talked about earlier, but um, it's called Legacy and it's about the New Zealand All Blacks, the, the rugby team. And they talk about that as a team idea that like, I think it's the most senior guys that are sweeping the floors of the locker rooms. And if they're a guest at a different stadium, they're leaving that locker room cleaner than they, it's like a dignity thing. It's like, we carry ourselves in this way. This is what 
this team is about. It's about dignity. It's recognizing everybody else's dignity. It's about, um, you know, not thinking so highly of ourselves that we don't have to do these. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about, you know, that grabbing that broom, grabbing that mop, because then it's like, Hey, it's time to load hose. Yeah. You know, I've been thrown out of the way so much by engineers and firefighters trying to, you know, get hose out of my hands when we're loading it up. And it's just like, I think it's catchy. And I learned that from the guys above me, you know, those captains that, you know, you had to like chase down for a broom because they were sweeping the station. I really admired, I really admired them because oh, yeah. they were badass on the fire ground too. Oh yeah. And that's the thing too, is like, it's like that book with all blacks, New Zealand uh, rugby team, right? One of the yeah, most yeah. domineering forces ever in rugby, right? hundred percent. But leaving a place better than you found it, you set a standard for a culture of like being good, just a being a decent human. You don't have to gloat. Yes. You're already in the professionals. Like why brag about it? Everybody knows you're the yes. best, best fucking team out there. Why gloat about it? Why be an yes. asshole? Why be hazing the new guy? It's like, it doesn't matter. It's like, Hey, earn your place. Cool. We'll, we'll take care of each other. If a cultural dignity. Yeah. 100%. It's, it's really important. And, and I, I see a lot of fire departments adopting that informally or formally. And, uh, you know, I, I know sometimes a default can be like, Oh, these millennials or, Oh, these Gen Zers or blah, blah, blah. But it's like, yeah, you know, I think 95 to 97% of our workforce is waking up in the morning and saying, I want to do a good job today. You know, they might veer off course a little bit and need a little bit of course correction, but they certainly don't need to be ripped down. Because then what do you get? You get someone that's not, they're going to be a robot. They're not going to think independently. Um, and then you've got someone that you're going to have to joystick for the, for the entire rest of that time there. And that's just not, I want guys that are going to be able to execute directives, but also think independently when I'm not around. And that's that thing you're talking about, that amorphous leadership, you know, and then I want them to go on and promote, you know, I, I want them to, climb above me. That's why every parent wants their kid to be better than they were, you know, hundred percent. So yeah, yeah, that's how I'd say I carry that with me. That's a good trait to have. And I think a lot of people need to start like picking those up because I still hear like to this day, I mean, for fuck's sake, man, it's 2023 and I still hear about like the shut up and dig mentality. It's uh, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's a time and place. Don't get me wrong. If like, if it's shitting and getting, yeah, you need to get engaged. I get that. That's a different leadership style, but that's another thing too. It's not like I am not a command leader. I'm not a verbal leader or whatever leadership nebulous term you want to like, I guess, relate to or identify yourself with. Mm -hmm. It's like, be a part of all of it, man. It's only going to make you a better human. Yeah. Yeah, man. A hundred percent. And it doesn't, you know, I think what sometimes people will say is like, oh, well then you're their buddy. And it's like, no, you're not their buddy. You're just, you're, you're trying to make the best example of what you're, you're embracing the mission and you're executing on that mission. And you're trying to set the pace and the tone for how to, um, you know, clearly execute the, um, the objectives to complete that mission. And so I think that's where, um, you know, that it doesn't, you don't have to be a buddy or a friend or a big brother. That's not where this goes. It's like, this is how we do business in this, you know, this is how business goes and it's, we're going to be good humans about it and we're going to get after it. We're going to be enthusiastic. And that's the leadership you know, motto of the day. Um, so. Oh, hell yeah, man. It's like, it's like the whole thing too. It's like, I don't want a mentor that I don't have the respect of. I don't want an assigned hundred percent. Like 
I want the dude that's over there or the person that's over there that's in the shit literally on a C diff call and you have mm-hmm. to peel a patient off the floor or something like that. Right. Or the somebody mm-hmm. that's not even <laughs> hesitating to oh, hump the QB yeah. up the, up the hill, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's yeah. what I want as a mentor. hundred percent. Oh yeah, man. So rolling it back to everything and like how fire has changed and how we have these new integrations of tech, which I'm sure you've seen over the entirety of your career, like the new thing. It's mm-hmm. always a new thing. It's like, and then it's the two things that firefighters hate. It's change in the way things are <laughs> first. Yeah. But how does like tech play into this? So let's get into the tablet command thing. Take it away, man. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I am probably the least tech tech co-founder that you will ever meet <laughs> in your life. Let's say you don't look like a tech guy to me. No, I'm not. I mean, in fact, my co-founder, Will Pigeon, who is actually the brilliance and the brains behind all of the the actual technology playing out. Like I came up with the conceptual, you know, I'm like, I'm a pretty good drawer and that kind of thing. And so, and I, I think I'm a good representation of what your average Joe firefighter, how they work and how they think. And so... Um, but Will's been really great about challenging that as well and being like, well, I think they can do a little bit more, which is really, I mean, we are very yin and yang in a very good way that way. Um, but several years ago, um, we had, uh, I guess I'm kind of leaping into the tablet command origin story and that'll sort of inform that question. But before I go down that road, did you have, I, well, let me, uh, okay. I'm getting ADD. Let me answer your question. Where does tech fit in the fire service? Tech has always fit in the fire service from the first time somebody slung an SCBA or put on a different helmet or, you know, fashioned a New York hook or fashioned a McLeod or a Pulaski. You know, I mean, at one point it was just forestry shovels and then it was McLeods and Pulaskis, which are, um, you know, mutations of lumberjack, um, uh, tools. And so, um, the first time somebody put lug soles on a boot, that's technology. Um, adapting that to the fire service, uh, denim turns to Nomex, you know, chainsaws, um, the evolution of chainsaws, hundred percent, you know, great. Okay. So side note, ADD moment, but <laughs> all, kind of a side note, um, John McLean who wrote, uh, I, let's see, I gotta, I gotta get this right. The guy who wrote a river runs through it. His dad was a forestry firefighter. And I think he wrote something called USFS 1917. Um, I'm, I may be getting the authors wrong and we'll get a, uh, a producer's correction on that or something in the, but I immediately jumped really, in jumping fire. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 exactly. But he's yeah, written exactly. several books. Um, yeah. hundred percent. And so the, the 19 USFS 1917 was one of my, it was an essay And it was one of my favorite essays about this kid who was like basically a burrow packer, like a a mule packer, but also a firefighter in the forest service in Montana in 1917. I think about all the tools that he had with him for fire. And then we look at something like tablet command that's affixed in a fire engine today in a lot of fire engines um, around California and starting to pop up around the United States and Canada. Um, so I think the elegant stroke in for technology in the fire service is to allow us to be 
the heroes that we perceive that we are in, and I use that word intentionally, um, and to do our, our business aggressively while providing for safety. I'm also using that phrase very intentionally with small doses of information that make you safer and more situationally aware. The first forays into technology were keyboard based DOS, um, and just, you know, almost like a chicken pecking at a button to get the feed pellet. They were small bits of information, sometimes a little bit hard to access. Um, and sometimes you felt like you were doing it more for administrative data than you were to help you accomplish that objective of punching in a hose lay or um, <clears throat> putting the house fire out or, you know, extricating the human from the crushed up car. So I heard an LA fire chief and I cannot, I think LA County, I cannot remember who he was, but it was at an NFPA conference on data. And he said, give me what I want when I want it in really tiny doses. And this was about 2015. We had already conceptualized tablet command and we were out there in the space, but it was a real um, deep dive and, you know, clear view into how most firefighters think and how they should think. You cannot manage a fire, whether it's as an incident commander or as a first-in captain like this with your head down looking for information. You just can't do it. So what I like, I've used this term before. I think I'm the first one to use it, but I'm not positive. I call it at-a-glance technology. When you can glance at a device and say, got it, I know where I need to go. And you put that device down and you can get to work. I think that's the elegant stroke. <clears throat> the further you move up in management, whether you're part of the command post, a safety officer, a division supervisor, or the incident commander, the more you can look down. But the best technology out there is the technology that allows you to look down, grab a bunch of information in a very small amount of time and then look up for long bits of time to watch the dynamics of your problem. Whether it is a person hanging from the side of a building needing a rescue, or it's a person in a car flipped upside down, or it's a fire running up into a neighborhood or a second floor on fire in a four-story apartment complex. If you can grab those small bits of information and interpret that information. And we are, as humans, we have evolved in the last 20 years to interpret little bits of information better. And it's all about the interface. So essentially, when we founded this company in 2010-ish, 2009, maybe we started discussing it, 2010-ish, I basically revealed myself to Will Pigeon, our co-founder, said, look, I am not a ones and zeros guy. I can't. I, I, you know, asked me to program this. I can't do it, but I will. What value I'm bringing is I will tell you if, and he's a firefighter too. So he got it already. It's, can we digest this in mass and put this information to use to where we're still acting the way that we perceive that we need to be acting in the, under the, um, umbrella of this 150 year tradition that we're all a part of. And so 
it was what information can we give them at the time? So kind of going to the origin story of tablet command. Sadly, in Contra Costa County, tragically, we had two line of duty deaths in 2007. I'm sure you're, you know, you're aware of it. I think a lot of the fire community is aware of it. I think the thing that impacted... Now, I, was, I had just started my third fire department and I was a recruit in their academy um, in July of 2007 when this tragedy occurred. But I had been in the fire service for about eight and a half, nine-ish years and um, had been in the structure world for a good solid seven and a half, I guess, years in their kind of timelines are a little fuzzy. And I had been to that fire several times, meaning most firefighters in the structural world have been into a single family dwelling fire that's really ripping um, with a rescue um, or, you know, even a non-rescue fire. You've been to that fire <clears throat> and there's a certain script that those fires are supposed to follow. And that one did not follow the script and there were some curveballs. So, you know, that was, you know, with regard to how the information was disseminated and then how the response sort of aligned for that. Um, and these guys literally put their lives on the line for citizens. Um, it's what we've all taken the oath to do. One of the things that came out of that was, are we doing personnel accountability as best as we could be doing not only in Contra Costa County, but in the region. And I think if you were to ask that question to Fire Department USA, I think the answer coast to coast would be, we could be doing a lot better. Hmm. And at the time, we had an analog system that was working. Um, I had come from a different department and there was a battalion chief that asked me about the system that we were using in that in Tacoma and Kent Fire. And I went home to sort of reproduce those materials for that chief. And then because I would, was sleep deprived from running calls all night the night before, incidentally in the station where those guys had lost their lives, which was eerie and weird in itself um, to show up to work at that station, just a lot of gravity there. Um, and uh, you know, it just, it just rocks you to your core when you see families grieving for those reasons, it's terrible. And then to go and report to that same place of work is, is just eerie, but having run calls the night before and then pulling out, you know, my iPhone two at the time <laughs> and playing the game called words with friends, which is where you grab a tile and you move it over onto the Scrabble board. A lot of you are familiar with it. And having a very aha epiphany moment. That was like it was weird. like, holy shit. I just arranged five tiles to spell, you know, scout. I don't know what I spelled. And some guy or gal that I don't even know just arranged some other tiles to spell a word. And we've been passing information back and forth. And to me immediately, that one letter tile was an engine company. And you know, when you touch on that tile in words with friends, it sort of grays out and swells for a second. I'm like that thing has to be able to hold information, whether it's staffing or timing or, you know, assignments or whatever it is. And so I started making drawings and that's when I called Will, uh, Will Pigeon, our technical co-founder and our 
current CEO and CTO um, and basically said, dude, I think I have a pretty good idea, but I don't know how to get from butcher paper to an iPad. And iPad, I think the iPad one was maybe starting to be introduced into the market. And I just knew that, you know, like I kind of have an, uh, a big imagination and I am a big fan of sci-fi movies. And I had just seen Minority Report where they're, you know, moving all those, you know, um, assets around on a big board. And, you know, like I came from the screen. teaching world and my wife was a teacher. Yeah, totally. You yeah. know, and, and like smart boards and stuff um, where like teachers could even just, you know, move things around on a smart board. I was like, there's no fucking way that... 10 years from now, we're not going to have some sort of tech touch technology to take a crew from here staging and move them over to here and fire attack. So that was that epiphany moment of like, I don't want to be the dude 15 years from now, 10 years from now, five years from now that sees this technology and goes, I had that idea (laughs) and I did not a damn thing about it. You know, like I wanted to be that guy that was like, let's do this. Let's take ownership of this. And, you know, I felt like I had some pretty good experiences as a firefighter. I'd worked in the wildland world with Cal fire. I worked, um, in the structural world and, uh, you know, now working in the County world, which is everything. And, you know, once Will and I kind of put our heads together, it took off. Um, well, in hindsight, it feels like it took off. It felt sometimes I think like we were banging our heads against concrete walls because (laughs) we were in the era, we we live really close to Silicon Valley where they just fling money around. Like it's nobody's business. And, you know, maybe there's a venture capitalist being like, no, that's not true. We do our due diligence up here in Menlo park and blah, blah, blah. No, they put money into things like Theranos without doing due diligence. You know, they put money into things that are, yeah, they do. It's, I mean, it's I'm speculative not to, gambling, man. I mean, it is. It is. You, and you sometimes it's yeah. showmanship. That too. I mean, well, you don't get into VC and like start investing into a company unless you're going to have a 10 to 100x return. I mean, totally. Big, big, and that risk, wasn't going to be the fire service. Payoff. No. We got the, we got the, that's a nice thing that you guys are trying to do for these nice little firefighters, but I'm not interested. And it was like, man, are we barking up the wrong tree with this? And, you know, we kind of stuck to our guns and we raised basically our own money with um, some really, I'll say visionary and altruistic in, uh, investors that believed in the idea of keeping their local firefighters safe through better information. And it flattened, you know, we talked about it earlier, like these leadership hierarchies and like shut up and dig and all of that. And it's true with information too. It's like, well, what are you seeing up there, Cap? Shut the fuck up. I'll tell you when you need to know. No, <laughs> I've had firefighters in the back give me information from things like tablet command or hearing things on the radio that I didn't hear because I was doing captainy things. And so, again, treating them like our most important asset and that they are also disseminators of information at appropriate times is really important. And a tool like tablet command helps firefighters do that. So fast forward to now, like we are in about 600 plus fire departments around the United States and Canada. Um, We have a handheld uh, version of the software and then we're mounted as a MDT and response mapping navigation solution. And just to kind of pull it to the wildland 
um, you know, world in the spirit of this con, uh, of this podcast and put it in the wildland context. I was on the Calder fire last year and I think division Lima, Lima or Kilo, Kilo. And a friend of mine in the double Marin letters, County fire. that's a lot. Oh yeah, dude. Was, you, yeah, if you, whenever you have double letter divisions on a fire, you know, that fucker's huge. It was a big fire. <laughs> it was a big, big fire. Um, and you know, every morning and we were on 12s too, which like, I, I got to tell you, it was, it's the first time I've ever been on 12s and I had respect for forest service people to begin with. Like I, you know, if I could do it all over again, I would do like five years as a hot shot or 10 years as a hot shot. I think that like forest service, the ground pounders, whether you're forest service or local government, uh, you know, BLM, BIA, whatever you are, if you're out there hiking and digging, uh, my hat is off to you. Those guys get up at five 30 in the morning, just like me for morning briefing. But now I know why you just stay out there and sleep because <laughs> it's just such a grind. And to do that, and know here we are in the structural, oh, I need my relief in seven days or 14 days. You guys are going 21 days. It's like, yeah, okay. You want to know what a work ethic is? Go to the Forest Service. You know, oh, yeah. go, to, go to any hand crew out there. And you will learn work ethic. You know, no, you don't need hazing or, you know, some sort of false ritual. Just take the tool and walk in there. But so anyway, we're getting hazing, up, we were getting, <laughs> the, the no, hazing enough. <laughs> that is. Yeah. I'd say, let's say, let's call it a hundred degrees and a 32 degree slope and uh, a two hour hike in. That's your, <laughs> there you go. There's your, there's your in, um, introduduction and your, your indoctrination. <laughs> hundred percent, hundred percent. I think you're sleeping really well at night, you know? Um, but so we were, uh, so back to the Calder fire, um, I was getting pulled aside in morning briefing by a couple different division suits saying like, Hey man, tablet command is saving my ass out there. I'm seeing where all my units are with AVL. The mapping is being uploaded every morning. I'm getting a, a clear picture of what the fire's doing. I'm able to deploy my crews more efficiently. So that was really great to get that context because, um, you know, in the structural world, there are times where it matters where the actual apparatus is. Um, but there are times where, you know, it's like the apparatus is here, but the crew is over here. So you kind of have to track both. In the wildland world, it can be more important you know, where that apparatus is, because that might mean that they are on a structure protection assignment or they are, um, uh, on a mobile attack assignment or they're on a patrol assignment or they're pumping a hose lay. And you can usually find crews, maybe a couple miles, you know, down a hose line from that rig. Um, uh, and so, you know, having that for division soups was, um, you know, sort of this really unintended, um, excellent, uh, consequence of having, you know, bomber technology like AVL and up-to-date mapping. And, you know, even in areas where like the cell coverage was really bad, we were still getting that AVL technology to see where rigs were moving around. And could you expand on the AVL? I hate to, I hate to cut, interrupt you, but yeah, could yeah. you explain what the AVL is? Yeah. AVL is automatic vehicle location. And so, it, um, those of you who are uh, fans of NASCAR or, um, tour de France, if you want to go to the Euro route, um, a lot of times they'll look at that clump of, um, riders or drivers and they'll have almost like a cartoon caption pointing to like, you know, 
here's so-and-so number five, and here's so-and-so number 27. And you know, they, you can differentiate out of that big clump, um, fire engines from most municipalities in um, California and around the United States usually carry some sort of um, onboard modem that will beam a signal um, and say, I am here. And, and that signal will manifest in some sort of interface, whether it's a mobile data computer, uh, like an iPad, um, in uh, you know something like Tablet Command or some other mobile platform that shows where units are in your agency. So the cool thing about tablet command is all these different agencies are on different computer aided dispatch softwares. And they're from all over the United States or I'm sorry, all over California, but they're putting the same signal up into the sky and landing on the tablet command interface, which is now making that platform very, very um, easy to uh, read and uh, really easy to decipher to see, you know, two fire departments from two different sides of the state on the same division and know what you have from a resource package. So AVL is basically a rig tracker that will follow your rig um, wherever it goes. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious what that was because for the folks listening to this, and I mean, not all of them are going to know what the uh, acronyms and I, I'm, I'm trying to get better yeah. at that. That's why I kind of like stopped. It was like, hold on, what's that? Cause the people that are listening to it that don't have a frame of reference, like to inform them on what that is, but yeah, sorry about that, man. Thank you. Yeah, no, no. Oh, not at all. Uh, uh, please stop me at any time. Cause I, you know, even me as sort of the Luddite of the group, like I don't have all the terminology, you know, down. I don't know that I ever will. Um, you know, other than ICS, but, um, I definitely, uh, you know, there are some acronyms out there that, uh, are worthy of explaining, um, because, uh, in the, in the name of safety, in the name of efficiency, in the name of better management. So, um, you know, I Resource don't accountability. see now we have, yeah, hundred percent. So we have, um, uh, uh, we have two 12 person hand crews in, in our fire department. Great hardworking kids and on their buggies, they actually have an onboard modem and they will project where their AVL is as well, or I'm project where their location is through AVL. And so you can see those buggies moving around. Now, 12 kids get off of those buses and they hike in and they go to work. And now we can't track them um, based on where their buggy location is. And we are starting to work on individual location, but that's much further down the road in the product roadmap. Yeah. It's, that's one of the things with the feds though. I mean, every hotshot crew, I mean, yeah. Do they have to have like a spot on board? It's part of their like standards to like mm -hmm. standard outfit, right? That's what your kid is. That's what every, you know, buggy or engine or whatever you have to have like a spot and that's like a, a geolocating yep. GPS satellite basically. And so call in case of emergency, it's like, uh, what do they call the things in the structure side where it's like, um, uh, it's like an emergency alert and it just automatically it's a, pings. Yeah. It's a, it's a pass alarm. Pass alarm. Yeah. Yeah. Personnel, uh, or personal accountability, uh, system. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's another thing though. It's like for the individual hotshots out there. Um, I know a lot of them don't want to be tracked. And that's one thing that's I've like, always right. kind of been confused about. Yep. <laughs> Hide the hotshots a real thing yeah. sometimes. Well, it's true in the structure world too. I mean, when we introduce tablet command, people are like, wait, wait, this thing tracks me. That big no, brother thing. I don't want it. Yeah. Yeah. And just also, I think what happens is people don't want to be scrutinized. I think they're afraid of punitive action versus constructive 
um, you know, a more complete picture. And that's just our, I think, you know, whether you're a hotshot and lacing up the boots or you're pulling your boots on as a structure firefighter, I still think that 150, 200 years of tradition plays into that. And so getting that level of trust to say like, Hey, look, this is not so that the big boss can come down and, um, you know, uh, punish you for something that he thinks that you should be doing. This is so that if you suddenly scream a mayday, we can come and get you. Oh, absolutely. And the same thing is the other direction as well. I mean, I think a lot of apprehension comes from, at least on the, on the wildland side for us, a lot of apprehension comes from it. Cause I've seen it before comes from the fact that some people they'll hop on like a, a mountaintop camera system, a remote camera system, look at the fire mm-hmm. and they'll armchair quarterback the incident and do icy from the arm armchair. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's and that's, scary. that's important. That's really important for us as firefighters across the board is to understand that you really have to be there. Oh, yeah. You gotta, you know, you can't, it, it's a, that, that mountaintop camera that you referenced or that piece of, you know, um, AVL information that you are looking at on the tablet command platform or any other platform is just you're still, um, you still need to be, you know, on the fire ground. You can't, this is not, you know, uh, drone operations from Las Vegas. This is real people on the ground managing real dynamic, uh, problems. Oh, absolutely. And that fires are a very tactile sport, right? There's like an, there's almost, and I I don't know if I I don't have any basis in saying this for the structure side of things or like the municipal side of things or all risk. But from the wildland side, I can 100% guarantee you that there's like a intuition that's developed over a course of your time. I mean, you take a, a dialed ass burn boss and they're a, they're, they're an artist and their paintbrush is a drip torch. It, you yeah, can't, 100%. Yeah. And you can't replicate that. It's, you have to be there to understand that. And, and, and that's reps that they talk about that. Uh, like Gary Klein talks about recognition, prime decision-making, right? Those are all slides in your internal slide tray that you're drawing from personal experience. And so when you do look at that badass burn boss's eyes, you know that they know what's going on, like uh, um, that they are confident and they're grounded in their decision-making. Um, and probably because you know, I think one of the reasons we know is because maybe they're acting a little bit more conservatively than we thought that they would because they've seen things go awry. But all of that recognition, prime decision making is so important. And that only comes from actually being there um, and building that experience for yourself. Uh, you, you just there's no getting around it. Oh, 100 percent, man. That and you just got to feel it, man. That when you start like trying to, you know, I see from a distance. Yeah, sure. You got to like sometimes hmm. step back and, you know, get the whole picture. But sometimes you have to be up close and like really understand what's going on, especially when it comes to like accountability for resources. And that's where I see a lot yeah. of the utility. Like that is huge with tablet command, man. That's right there. Cause we don't have to have like, Oh yeah. Where the hell is the classic question? Where the fuck is my water tender? hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. 100%. And it's, you know, uh, we have something in the structural world that I'm sure can apply to the wildland world. And I'm sure there's a wildland world equivalent called the NIOSH five. And those are the five causal factors 
if you look at any line of duty death across um, uh, the United States in any year, one of those five causal factors, if not several of them were in play when those firefighters got severely hurt or injured. Um, communications is one of the, the keys, um, but accountability is one of the other big ones. Um, when you lose accountability, when you lose track of your people, when you sort of, you, you lose control of the incident. And when you're losing control of the incident, that's when those accidents um, start to pile up or that's when those factors start to align uh, that have um, bad outcomes. You know, in our case, in, in our mutual case, it's line of duty deaths. And it's usually because of communications and not to, not to be disrespectful at all, but like I can think of a few wildland, major wildland incidents where communications was a major factor. I mean, there are whole books um, written about that. And I just out of respect for those incidents, I don't want to say, well, it was on this fire and that fire sound like an armchair quarterback, but communications is huge. Communications is huge in the structural world, communications um, uh, and accountability, knowing, you know, like you said, where the fuck is everybody? Um, And it's not, it's not like where the fuck is everybody? Cause I want my burritos. It's like, that cloud just changed. That behavior just changed. My lips are really dry now. It is the relative humidity is single digits. I know it with the fingertips. I know it right now. Things are about to go bad or they're going bad. Now I need, now is not the time to figure out where everybody is. It's like, I want to prepo everybody or know in my mind and then verify that on some sort of interface where everybody is in real time. And I think that's what tablet command brings to the game. It's like, look, you're writing this shit down anyway, right? You're putting it on a whiteboard. You're putting it on a, a, a notepad, the magnet you're map. using a grease pencil. Yeah. Napkin and back of the envelope. Why not timestamp it and memorialize it where everybody is. Then um, even when things go really well, you've got these analytics to refer to, to um, say, all right, that went really well. Let's build on that. But when you don't comp- and, and, and it's, it's passive, like you're not changing how you get on and off the fire engine. You're not changing the PPE that you wear. You're not changing um, your tactics. You're not being, you know, more uh, defensive instead of offensive. You're just building a picture of what the incident looks like. So you have a good idea of where that incident goes so you can get ahead of the incident. I think that's the most important thing. You know, we... I'm 50% sure that I think we can stop it with the resources that we have. But if these other factors align that are totally out of my control, what do I do now? It's time for cowboy bill. No, like you need those resources in your back pocket in case things go horribly sideways. And that's, I mean, that, that tenant can be applied to the structural world. That tenant can be applied to the wildland world. And you can't know unless you have some sort of interface that's keeping up with the incident and telling you who you have right now. And that that's, a big advantage of tablet command, even for guys that are very um, technology averse, one of the very first things you do in tablet command is open the incident and it gives you a long display of who's coming. If that's all you do and then you write it down, you won because you didn't get on the radio, tie up bandwidth and ask for this two minute long list of every resource from 
you know, Santa Barbara to uh, San Francisco, you know, who's coming to your party, um, you know, uh, you're winning because you're seeing it there in real time for the most part. And it gives you an ability to place them on a map and timestamp what they're doing. And at least, you know, if something goes sideways, you can refer back to that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even like, all right, scenario time, like the way way I see this, like being really, 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 uh, useful is like that scenario you kind of alluded to right there uh, a little bit ago, right? Where say you notice a change in RH or the wind shifts or the column starts coming back at you or going towards mm-hmm. a community, you know, the fire is going to be running that way, right? Well, now, since you've already like noticed this change in the environment, well, okay, cool. What do I do with my resources? Do I got to go do point protect and that speed of information, right? You're not overwhelming. Like you mentioned it earlier too, where like uh, a lot of things are just flooding you with information, right? Look, look at Instagram. Yeah. How many times yes. do you know people that are taking a dump in the morning and they're just like doom scrolling while they're taking a dump or they're going to bed doom <laughs> scrolling. It's like so much information, but yeah. it's so yeah. concise that it's easily digest digestible, right? You don't even have to read the caption. Right, right, right. right. You know what's going on. Yeah. But when you can glance down and say, shit, we need to do point protection and you can get that information quick like 100%. that, then you can readjust your resources. You're getting ahead of the curve. That's huge. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, back in the day when, just to kind of pan back for a second, when I took fire, fire department tests 25 years ago, there were like 5,000 or more people lining up. There are not that many people lining up now. It's hard to get people. I mean, I know the Forest Service, the hotshot crews are having a hard time hiring. That used to be really hard. And now um, it's hard to get people that can do the job to that standard and be motivated to stay in it. Um, the same is true for Cal fire, um, you know, and the same is true to a certain extent in the structure world. And so, you know, we don't have a gazillion people, um, you know, coming to these things because of budgets or, you know, draw down because you've got, you know, again, in the era where we are with mega fires and a, a bunch of different activity, you might not have a whole lot of resources at your um, newly, uh, your new start, some, you know, in, in Weed, California or um, Willows or, um, you know, Gold Run. And so then it's like, okay, who do I have and where can I position them to where they can do the best they can, but that's realistic for the resources that we can expect in the next while. And having an interface, like you said, in that Instagram packaging, it's just like, boom, I'm looking down. Okay, I've got the picture. You go down that road. You go down that road. You do your best to get you know, parallel with the head of the fire. And I'll get you resources as soon as they show up. You know, And if they show up and they didn't show up on your interface, you can add them. And then you know who you have um, you know, for the next assignment or that you know you need to hang on to. Um, and add to the IAP. So, um, yeah, it's, I, I think kind of the bigger theme that you asked about earlier was like, how does technology work for our profession, which is, you know, subtext 200 years old and very traditional. Well, that's how it works. It's that, it's that those small snippets of technology that we have every day of our lives. You know, we're, we're looking at it in, in different ways. We're navigating to that five-star speakeasy or looking for the best poke bowl or whatever it is. And you're digesting it and you're taking action. Well, you know, you can do that in the fire service without it being a trivial thing. It can be an actually 
meaningful um, thing when the technology is packaged correctly, which is why we have a lot of firefighters working for our company to say like, ah, that's a little too nerdy and that's going to take too many steps to get that information. Um, let's look at it this way. And, you know, thankfully our CTO and co-founder, um, is also a former firefighter and did the job for real, um, for several years. And so he's got a good command of that. He's just also, a a whiz kid when it comes to ones and zeros. So yeah, programming is not my thing either. So I'm no. like swing hammer. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. I just, yeah, there's other, you know, I, I just never, the, the, uh, computer sciences were never something that excited me. So that makes things, that makes things convenient though. I mean, that's, that's, one thing, you know, it's, it's like whatever you can do, especially with a, with something that you could see your incoming resources and then say it's a PL of five resources are just mm -hmm. not coming. You can even like adjust your efficiencies to put the best effective resource at this particular location. So, I mean, and you can keep track of all that's that a stuff. fantastic way of putting it. You put that in a really good way, you know, adjust your expectations, adjust your resources for the maximum amount of efficiency. That's exactly it. You know, um, you and I are both, uh, have a front row seat to this new era of fire. And so there are times where you have to do a lot with very little. It's sort of like the Marines in world war two make do, you know, and, um, having, you know, affordable technologies to help you do that is, um, it's critical to success and safety in an operation. Oh, absolutely, man. And that's the thing is like, you have the ability since you're actually live testing it not beta testing, it's already, a, it's, it's a, a, it's a product. It's already out there. It's disseminated, right? It's Correct. a turnkey thing. Yep. But the cool thing is, is that you have firefighter input on this. So they're going to tell you yes. if like a feature is like completely useless or shitty or whatever, they're probably not going to pull any punches, but you get that feedback of what actually is effective. No. I've got a great story about that. And I think really? I have his permission to use his name. And if not, maybe we'll just edit it out. I don't know. Is this thing edited or is it go just live continuous? If he doesn't want it, I can, I could bleep out his name. No, no big deal. Okay. I don't think, I, I think he would want it actually is um, he's a, he's a, he was a division chief in the city of San Francisco. His name is Tom Saragusa. Very well-respected thought leader and um, you know, incident commander, at least, you know, uh, on our side of the bay, looking across, you know, he's, he's a, he's been, you know, on panels in firehouse magazine and at firehouse world. And, you know, he's taught a lot of classes and he just, it's just years and years and years of experience. And he's Italian. I'm Italian, you know? Um, so he's, as you said, he's not going to pull any punches. So when Will and I conceived this technology in like, we launched in the app store in 2013 and we were getting a lot of traction. There were a lot of, we had launched it at a, um, at a trade show and, or actually a conference first and then a trade show about two weeks later in the conference, it was supposed to be a room for like 40 people. And there were like a hundred oh, and like outside, like they were overflowing, um, you know, that had come to see, Oh my God, is this really a thing? And, um, so we were feeling pretty good about that. And then we um, featured it at Firehouse World, which was this big conference. And, you know, we had fire chiefs come by. You nailed it, guys. You nailed it. You nailed it. But do this, this, and this. You know, we would write that down very, yes, sir. You know, write it down really dil diligently. So, you know, we were having some success in fits and starts. But, you know, I think collectively, um, Will and I 
decided, gosh, we should decide if we're going to waste, if we're wasting our time or because we're having a hard time finding funding from the technology world, as I kind of referenced earlier. Mm -hmm. So we said, all right. And we had a civilian CEO at the time, which is, you know, really funny because he doesn't talk the fire talk, right? Yeah. Doesn't speak the language. And he's not used to those really well. And also just the abrupt feedback in various ways. And so we said, all right, let's go across. We, we know this guy, Tom Saragusa. He's a division chief in San Francisco. He's really, really, really well respected. He's a no bullshit guy. And he's going to tell us right now whether we can just get on with our lives. And this was a nice concept. And, you know, um, somebody else will do it better. Or if we should actually, um, you know, continue down this journey. And so when we walked in the room within two minutes, he goes, I think he was talking, you know, had another meeting going. He was like trying to get away from that. And he goes, and he kind of walked in in a rush and, you know, kind of, he was definitely an important man that had a lot of other things to do. And, uh, you know, here we are, the county firefighters from across the bridge with this technology under our arms. And he, literally, I think I'm verbatim quoting him. He goes, all right, all right, all right, sit down, show me your shit. I'm going to tell you exactly what's fucked up with it. <laughs> and we're, and the civilian CEO, I looked at him and his mind was blown. He's like, oh my God, is this how you guys talk to each other? It was like, yeah, yeah, relax. This is going to be normal. <laughs> exactly what we need, the feedback that we need. And, um, and so, uh, you know, we started getting through it and he was kind of, you know, looking at us with a skeptical eye, like, Hmm, okay, go on, go on. And then at the end, he's like, you guys kind of nailed it, but it'll never be in the city of San Francisco. And like three months later, we were in the city of San Francisco, you know, and, um, but it was just really good to get that abrupt feedback, which was also really supportive. Um, and you, you got to do that in any venture, you know, whether you're drilling, you know, as a captain, a battalion chief, you got to go to people that you know are going to like poke you in the chest or figuratively and say, Hey man, you're blowing it. Yeah. Or yeah, that was good. But you know, C plus or, you know, uh, I'd like to see you be better at this particular aspect. You just, if you seek that out and you seek that self-examination, whether you're launching a product or you're trying to become, you know, take the next promotional step, those are really important moments to like look back inside yourself and say, am I really invested in this thing? You know, so it's kind of an interesting little story. Well, absolutely though. And that's another thing too, is I, th I think it's always a shock when you hear like, cause I don't, I don't pull any punches on the show. It's just like, as you see it, this, this yeah, yeah. authenticity yeah. thing. Yeah. Right. And when it comes yeah. to like talking to, I guess, normies <laughs> using air quotes here, normal people. Yeah. Normies. Yeah. The normies. I don't think that a lot of people are prepared for it, like them to be that direct, like fire, fire people. For, it's pretty much universal, whether it's cops, military, yeah. firefighters, whatever, you know, it, it's, it's, mm -hmm. we all speak the same language and we're very short. We're direct and we're to the yeah. point. It's not us being an asshole. Yeah. You're just not prepared for that level of honesty and directness. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll accept the asshole moniker when, when the time is right. You know, I'd sometimes gladly wear that crown, but I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying like, look, if you really want to do this, this is what it needs to look like. So yeah. Well, you have to, you have to be humble. And I think that's with anything, whether 100%. you're developing a, a, an app or if you're developing a product or yeah. if you're trying to be a yes. better firefighter, better fucking human parent, whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, it, it, we would have gone nowhere if we had, um, you know, not adopted that stance of humility 
because we're walking into fire departments that have very, very proud traditions. Um, You know, whether you're talking to the U.S. Forest Service or the BLM or you're talking to Cal Fire or you're talking to um, Charlotte, North Carolina or Denver, Colorado or um, San Francisco or L.A. County. These are all departments that are very proud. Ventura County, very proud of what they do. And they're proud of their people and proud of their organization. We're very proud. You know, I'm, I'm proud to belong to this larger community, but I'm also proud of my agency and the folks that, that work for me. And um, I'm proud to be a part of that. I'm, I feel grateful uh, to be a part of that. And so you've got to have that um, humble stance when you're introducing things that people maybe are not necessarily comfortable with. Oh, absolutely. But one question I do have for you too is, uh, I mean, is this like the fire culture is a very giving and give back kind of culture. Just doesn't matter if your structure, Mm -hmm. doesn't matter if you're wildland, it doesn't matter. Right. Is this one of those Mm -hmm. efforts in yours, like one of those personal passions to give back to the community that has been a part of your life for so many years? Yeah. I mean, look, I never want to hear another mother or um, wife weep in a memorial service again. And, you know, are we going to prevent all of that? You know, uh, we can try. It's probably not realistic, but we are trying to add our piece to this culture in terms of making the information more readily accessible, elevating situational awareness and making it safer. And we've gotten some pretty impactful feedback from some agencies that have said, if not for tablet command, this might've had a really bad outcome. Um, We have a documentary on our our website uh, about Marin County and they were up at the car fire and they were um, not able to, uh, they were caught right mid slope in the middle of a blow up. And I got to say, I'll just say, I'll leave it at this tablet command played a pivotal role in that successful outcome. Was it everything? No, I think that's going too far to say that, but it was an important tool. And well, I'll leave it to you to go to those people and, and watch that documentary and decide, did that have an outcome? So, Hey, did it prevent maybe four funerals for that department? Maybe. And, and, and as a good friend of mine from the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation said, uh, Victor Stagnero, wonderful man um, who uh, you know, was running the firefighter outreach for widows and orphans. And one of his takes on tablet command years ago was you may never know how many lives you've impacted with this because so early in the process, information was disseminated that affected the outcome. So do we have an after action form that says tablet command saved my life? No, but if you survey our customers, our users, I should say, I don't even want to call them customers because they're our fellows. If you survey them in terms of the information that they're getting, I think that they would agree that they're getting information that they've never had before in the palms of their hands. So yeah. Um, can we enhance the incident command process? Can we enhance get out times? Can't, you know, which is better for the citizens. 
um, and better for us because if we can keep fires small, whether it's residential or wildland, that's, um, that's good too for the citizenry. Um, can we make navigation more accurate? Can we give bits of information like a fire camera view or a traffic camera view or directions to a fire trail more readily accessible than a three ring binder? Is that having, is that a thousand grains of sand that's suddenly, you know, piling up to be a significant And we are very fortunate and very grateful that we've had a tremendous base of users from unique fire departments like Columbus, Ohio, um, Grand Rapids, Michigan, Santa Barbara County, kind of co-collaborating with us along the way and helping us to make this product better. So, yeah, I mean, I don't want to be so... Uh, presumptuous to think that like our company, the whole team of people that really makes this go, which is an amazing group of people that they are, you know, I mean, a lot of, okay, here, here's the thing. It's like a lot of technology companies go, well, we are making the world a better place. And it's like, okay, I get it. You know, like, I, I don't can, know how many times I've heard that fucking sentence. Uh, dude, it's just, <laughs> it's, you're right, dude. You're right. Like, it's just, come on. It's like, I mean, Silicon Valley, the, the series riffed on that so much. It's like, yeah, it's, 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 I don't know. It's just over, <laughs> it's overdone. But I, I feel very proud to be a part of a group of people that has made a big impact on the fire service. And I am confident in saying that I think we have made a, a, a pretty important impact on the fire service in terms of raising expectations about what sort of information you should go into a, a situation, you know, armed with, you should be armed with that information, you know? So yeah, I'm, I'm proud of that. And, uh, you know, very thankful of, uh, you know, I mean, will our CTO CEO, the guy with regard to his technology, um, his command of technology and his ability to sort of, roll that out to fit the fire service culture. That's an elegant stroke in itself. And then the team that's working for him. And then our team of people that get out there and sort of evangelize this product are all retired or current firefighters from around the country. And, um, you know, they're paired with folks that have been, you know, selling products in this realm for a long time. And, you know, I'd say that they're very proud to also be a part of that. Um, as well. So I, you know, sure. If people want to say, Hey, we're making, I'm, I'm confident we are making an impact in the fire service. And if, uh, and that is a way for us to give back to, 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 to see if we can maybe impact injuries and line of duty deaths and make that number go smaller. Oh yeah. And it all stems from, you know, reducing that fog of war too, that, when you get onto like oh. a, an incident that's, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a, a TC, it doesn't matter if it's a wildland, it doesn't matter if it's a structure. I mean, there's still some chaos there and you just like your whole job is to manage chaos. It doesn't really matter what level you're at. I mean, yeah, you're still managing chaos as the firefighter backseater, right? doesn't matter. Yeah. 100%. But to reduce that fog of war and to like really get a, a clearer picture and not be flooded with all the bullshit information and then have the ability yeah. to look down and like, 
at a glance, like you're saying, at a glance, look at what you have and then kind of connect the dots, rapid pace. No doubt that's going to, in my mind, that's going to save lives potentially. Yeah. I mean, we're practicing it every day that we're in our civilian lives um, with just menial stuff. And so to then stack in really important information. And I'm, I love that you introduced the fog of war because that's exactly what it is. It's, you know, I mean, you know, part of, of what we do is we brave that, you know, initial onslaught of confusing data inputs and what's real and what's not. Um, and do we lose our minds or do we, you know, go about it in a very um, rehearsed professional and controlled way to mitigate and make that emergency better. And by having that information, as you said, to cut through the fog of war is really, really important. 110% my dude. So what is, what is the future of uh, tablet command looking like? Can you go into it? I know there's going to be, yeah, I, no, I didn't no, slide I, NDA um, here. So I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I think it, it, the reason I'm smiling is because the future is like this big, you know, um, there are a lot of features that are on our product roadmap that I probably will kind of keep the veil over just out of respect for the, um, the developers and the, um, and our CTO CEO. Um, but you know, everything that you've done in the analog world with regard to managing divisions or groups, um, you know, uh, a uniform, uh, a unified platform for managing multiple resources from um, multiple locations uh, on a very large um, incident, whether it's a flood, tornado, hurricane, a large mega fire, we're getting much closer to that um, than I think anybody has ever gotten with regard to how easy it is um, uh, in the interface. There are a lot of keyboarding um, solutions out there and stuff, but we're going to take that same tablet command interface that everybody's used to and just continue to make it easier with richer information and, and make the platform bigger so that more people can play in that sandbox. Um, and, uh, and that we can keep track of more people. I mean, in my own agency, we have, um, you know, resources that come from different counties and they are tablet command customers, you know, so, um, the ability to leap from platform to platform is really important, especially in the West. But, you know, I, I also, I have the Western goggles on, right? Um, you know, the Midwest has something called Mabus, which is the, um, what is that? Mobile box alarm system, which is basically like our mutual aid system. And so you can have fire departments that normally would not play with each other starting to play with each other. And some of that comes from California influence, but they, you know, you can have swaths of tornadoes that cross multiple States. And, you know, the way that we've deployed FEMA task force um, from all over the country to different, you know, parts of the country or the world um, to unite in, you know, efforts to dig people out or, you know, to save people from the water or, you know, neighborhoods um, that have been flooded, uh, or burned over, um, you know, the ability for firefighters to get onto a unified platform of information, we're getting closer and closer to that, um, with tablet command. Obviously, um, we are looking to expand our footprint, um, in the United States and Canada. Uh, we have gotten a lot of interest from beyond, um, and we're, um, you know, just looking to, 
you know, keep the product real with regard to what do our true users tell, tell us um, about their experience and how can we make that experience better. So I would say the future is big and bright for Tablet Command. Um, none of us are getting tired. We're excited when we get to interact with future users because we're all, you know, um, coming from the same industry and we can talk, talk shop and, you know, get unified on all the things that we have in common and also be curious about the differences from, you know, different parts of the country. You know, Texas has wildfires, Florida has wildfires. Um, you know, how, how is it managed there? Um, how, uh, what's their approach to the incident command system? How do they go from managing wildfires in the Florida panhandle to then managing a high rise fire? Are there crossovers? Um, how many similarities do we have? And so seeing all of that manifest in the tablet command platform is really important as well. So I would say, you know, we're not going to stop innovating. We're not going to stop trying to grow and we're not going to stop listening. Uh, we really love our users and we want to continue to listen to them and we want to expand our user base. So um, the future is big and bright for us. Oh yeah, man. So for the people that are out there interested listening to the show, I mean, where can we find like, is is there any like an open beta for like stuff that you're testing out or for like new features or, I mean, you can go to, you know, tablet command, just go to the internet and it's, it's all there. But uh, as far as other stuff, like where can we find you? Yeah, you can download our free version of the app, um, which is a very basic version to give you a sense of like how to launch an incident and build an incident that's time stamped and and allows you to track. We'll build um, a a list of resources and track those. One of the great things about Tablet Command is it generally takes policies and procedures from Fire Department USA with regard to management of a bunch of different types of hazards, whether it's an MCI, a hazardous materials um, you know, residential structure fire, wildland fire, whatever it is. And so in the free version, you have to manually build that, but it will give you that look and feel of what that looks like for a full fire department deployment. Um, in a full fire department deployment, it's basically all those laminated checklists and three ring binder stuff that you have in your cab coming together on one platform that you're just holding in the palm of your hand. But, um, you know, certainly downloading the free app is one way to um, experience the look and feel. One of the other ways is just to go to our website, tabletcommand.com. There are a ton of videos, a ton of customer testimonials that you can view. Uh, that Marin County documentary is called One Day in July. And so all for all you wildland heads out there, like myself and um, Brandon, the, you know it's for sure a great um, documentary about how in this, you know, 200 year tradition of fighting wildland fires, um, you know, we were able to use technology to maybe um, provide a launching point for a successful outcome for four firefighters whose day was about to go really bad. And so that's a pretty compelling eight minute documentary. And then, um, you know, certainly we're in all the social media channels, uh, LinkedIn, we have some of our more, you know, white paper style uh, publications and then Instagram and Facebook. Um, and I think we even crop up on Twitter and then honestly, um, depending on where you are, you might just go to the next city over. You might just go to that fire department in your own city and look inside a fire engine and you, you might see tablet command. So, um, depending on where you are again in the country, um, you might be living right next to uh, a tablet command customer, uh, user, um, as well. So those are the ways that you can, um, 
you know, start to get the feel. And then we have a great group of folks that will give you a personalized demo of the product. We're always love to hear from interested prospective customers. So um, that's a, another way to, to uh, interact with Tablet Command. Oh yeah, man. And I will say it's a really inter- like intuitive uh, user interface and it's, it's very well done. So yeah. I got in there and poked around a little bit and checked it out and it's, it's easy to use. And that's like three quarters of the battle right there, <laughs> especially when it dies. Yeah. I mean, stuff. look, I, yeah, I'm the litmus test. It's got to be fire, firefighter Joe proof. Just like, you know, all right, yeah, I, I'm sliding this here. I'm checking that off there. And now I'm putting it aside so I can watch the fire and I'm picking it up again. It's got to be easy to use and intuitive. And if you hand it, if you handed it to a, a fire professional that, you know, has maybe um, never uh, seen tablet command, um, they pick it up right away. Honestly, I think that uh, more technology like this, I mean, as long as it has a, not a distractive purpose or a distractive element to it, to where it's, you know, you can focus on the shit that matters, but still like have these additional tools to get that, that information that reduce that fog of war, all that stuff. That's, I'm all about it, man. Anything that's going to make our job better, more efficient, better humans and safer hundred percent into it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, if we can, whether we know it or not, if we can reduce you know, those memorials, those line of duty deaths, those, uh, severe injuries, um, then, you know, our work is, um, important and we want to continue to do important work. Oh, absolutely. Well, man, definitely appreciate you being on the show today and telling also telling us all about your story, all about what you do and all about tablet command, dude. It's, uh, it's interesting to see like the rise in tech and I don't know about a majority. I want to say a majority I don't know about everybody, but a majority of firefighters out there, usually when they hear like tech and fire used in the same sentence, they mm. typically cringe. So it's really refreshing to see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really refreshing to see like a, a fresh spin on things and like something that's purpose-driven and increasing safety. It's not a bullshit thing, you know? Right. I mean, we can have technology and have it be real for what we're doing. It's the, it, the future is now in that respect. Um, so that's something that we're really proud of. And again, it's because we have a team that's largely built of fire service people. Um, and so we're really committed to making things real and usable and practical and applicable to what we do every day in the field. 100%, man. Keep going on the direction you're going because I'm sure it's going to be 100% successful with that mentality. So. Well, coming up on yeah, the end of the sure. show. Well, we'll do a follow-up in, uh, in a little while. Oh, absolutely, man. And then uh, coming up on the end of the show here, I always have the opportunity for you to give a, a shout out to some homies, heroes, mentors. Who do you got for us, man? Oh, man, I've got such a long list. Well, first of all, let's start with everybody at Tablet Command. The whole team is amazing. Uh, co-founder, Will Pigeon. Um, he's our current CEO and CTO. Um, and then we have a, the, the, the list is about, I think, up to about 15 or 16 other people. Um, you know, I'll say that, uh, uh, many thanks to the folks that I worked with at Cal fire, but also Puget sound fire. Um, one of our coworkers, Eric Tomlinson, um, has, uh, come over to tablet command, um, and is now working with us and, you know, had a profound impact on my whole fire career. Um, absolutely. Uh, the Tacoma fire department, I, you know, uh, the training staff there, and, um, you know, all of my peeps at Tacoma, I will never uh, forget my time there. And then Contra Costa County has been a really supportive environment. Um, 
And, uh, you know, my academy classmates of Academy 41, uh, I could, you know, my, my life is complete having uh, gone through that adversity with you. And you all know what I mean by adversity. Um, and then, you know, I'd say like Alan Brunacini, you know, rest in peace, had a big impact on me. Kevin Conant, uh, Anthony Castros, um, who, you know, incident command, uh, guru, um, and, uh, boy, oh boy, my parents, you know, rest in peace as well. Always encouraging me, um, to, to go after things like this. And I know they were really proud, but also nervous when I became part of the, the American fire service. And, uh, lastly, my wife and kids, you know, for, um, really, uh, well, my brothers and sisters, um, as well, I've got seven brothers, six brothers and sisters. I'm number seven. And, you know, being there for me as a, as a really tight Italian, uh, crazy family and all my extended relatives and, uh, and my wife and kids who have supported me and, you know, sometimes being away, um, and have, you know, done their best to understand what this mission is about. And, uh, I just, you know, that gratitude, I will, I will gladly take a bullet, you know, gladly do whatever I can to make sure that, you know, they're okay. So, um, that, yeah, I, you know, I, I have a lot of people to be grateful for, um, or to be grateful to, uh, you know, and it's, it's not, you know, I hope I show that gratitude to, you know, everyone mentioned and everyone not mentioned as well. So thanks for the opportunity. Well, Andy, Hey man, thank you for being on the show and, uh, yeah, definitely uh, looking for more of what's uh, going on in tablet commands future here pretty soon. So thank you for being on the show, man. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for doing what you do. And thanks for having me. It's been an honor and I'm always happy to come back and we really appreciate being here. Oh yeah. We'll get you back on, man. All right. All right, guys. Take care. Good luck this season. Stay safe. Okay. We'll do. And boom, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with our good friend, Andy Botzo over at Tablet Command. So if you want to find out more about Tablet Command and what it's all about, basically it's a mobile uh, CAD software, emergency incident response and management solution. It's pretty awesome and it's easy to go to. All you got to do is go over to www.tabletcommand.com and check it out. See what it's all about. It's actually really intuitive. It's actually super easy to use. Yeah, check it out. It's awesome. Anyways, Andy, I just want to say thank you for uh, swinging by and telling us all about the show. And hey, who knows, man, playing words with friends and uh, creating something that could pretty much conceptually change the entire way we kind of visualize resource management on fires. Yeah. Who would have knew? Yeah. Playing uh, video games would have been a segue into creating some uh, beneficial and safety enhancing tech. So I want to say thank you and thanking your subject matter expertise and to tell us a little bit about yourself. So see you on the next one, man. As for the rest of you, I know everybody's getting a little bit bored and I know that the season's probably going to end up dragging on, but just keep your head in the game. I know it's hard, especially on these so slow seasons, but uh, like I said earlier, I think we're one lightning bust away from a ripping end of the season, but we'll see how it goes. So let's see what mother nature provides. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope you enjoyed the show. Special shout out to our sponsors. We got Mystery Ranch, purveyors of the finest damn packs in the Wildland Fire game and the creators of the Backbone Series Scholarship. So go over to www.mysteryranch.com to check out their full line of load-bearing essentials and get a hold of one of those uh, freaking awesome opportunities to get some uh, professional development under your belt with the Backbone Series Scholarships. Yeah, we got... Honshot Brewery, of course, purveyors of the finest damn coffee in the Wildland game and keeping me extraordinarily caffeinated, especially with my two kids. They keep me up 
and I need a little bit of extra juice to go. So if you want the finest in a kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check it out. And last but not least, we have the Smoky Generation, AKA the American Wildfire Experience. Go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check out all the stories that they have going back all the way to the 1940s. It's pretty freaking rad. Yeah, Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization. Keep it up over there. And a special little shout out to our, well, not really sponsors, but a shout out to everybody who's listening. Yeah, this is a shout out to you because you, whoever's listening to this right now, are making this whole damn thing possible. We just rolled over a half a million downloads in the end of July. Yeah. I am deeply, deeply appreciative of this, and I cannot thank you all for your unwavering support and your listenership. So thank you so damn much. Other than that, y'all know the drill. Stay safe, stay savage. Peace.